Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health and to destigmatize mental health within our community. You'll hear from mental health professionals and real women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities and explore different ways to heal and support each other. My name is Ashley and my co-host is Aloria, and we are really excited that you're joining us for another episode. Before we get into this episode, we are just going to take a moment to just settle our minds and settle our souls and take a second to breathe. I promise you this won't take too long. We are just going to take a big inhale through our nose and a big exhale out of our mouths. One more time. And big exhale. This time we're going to take a big inhale and hold it for three seconds. And take a big exhale. Get all that air out of your belly. One more time. Big inhale. We're going to hold it for four seconds. And release. All right. All right, now let's get into it. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety. Today, our special guest is going to be April Sykes from Starkville, Mississippi. Um, 2012 WNBA player, professional overseas pro ball player. From um, She played in Australia, Germany, Israel, Egypt, Lebanon, and Mexico. So she's worldwide, okay? Worldwide. So mm-hmm. we're so excited to have her. Um, she's an advocate for athletes versus mental health and helping them overcome career setbacks. And we're so excited to have her on the episode. This episode today is so exciting. So welcome, April. Welcome. Yes. Thank you so much for taking some time out. Like we're we're really excited about this. No problem. No problem. <laughs> yeah. So I saw um I saw that you dropped Sykes 24 Serenity. Um, I think I saw it on Instagram a couple months ago and I was like, yo, this is perfect timing. Like I need to like get back in touch with her because we definitely need to bring you on and kind of see what you're doing. Um, especially like for myself as a former athlete, I know it's super important, um, to bring mental health into that space, but can you kind of tell us like how you came up with, with Sykes 24 Serenity? Well, personally, since I've been having injuries, since I started my WNBA career, I've been dealing with mental health from college, high school, but it was like me being unaware of it. It had became like normalized. I had became numb to it. And so like when I got my injuries, I started realizing like, what is wrong with me? Like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with myself. I don't know who I am. I'm lost. And it was really just during the pandemic when I had got another injury, my fifth surgery, I tore my ACL in Egypt, like right before lockdown. And I was like, no, I got to go through another surgery, but then they postponed it due to people not being allowed in hospital. So I was Mm -hmm. like, that's going to put me back another three months. So being that we were stuck in the house, I had got on TikTok and like I was seeing like how my videos, just for me being funny, you know, I've always had a personality just for me being like in a comedian, like being a comedian. Oh, I'm I'm giving people joy. I'm I'm helping people during this time. People like, yo, I look forward to your videos on TikTok. You make me laugh. We locked in the house. I'm overseas in the apartment by myself for like a month and a half. 
And it was to the point I was like, I always, my mental health was always important to me. And then Kobe Bryant had passed and like that had took a different toll on me. He's like my hero. Yeah. I watched Kobe. RIP. Look, you got the shirt on. Like, (laughs) and I watched Muse like over and over. And it was just like, if I can see Kobe Bryant and mentally, oh, Kobe go through the same doubts and worries that I went through. And I was like, it, what his muse do, did for me, I feel like I can do it for the women's game because I do have that line. Like, I do have like the resume, I do have the backstory and stuff. And it was important to me in during the pandemic. Like, I, I'm not busy, I gotta have surgery, so I'm not worried about working out. Let me focus on psych serenity, let me focus on mental health because I feel like being a person I am with a like charismatic personality, if I spoke up about it, it'll be a domino effect. This person will think it's okay. Like, oh, April doing that. And like still having a balance in life. And so it was just huge for me to just get psych serenity started to let some people in our community, especially women basketball players who we're overlooked. We should be happy we're just getting paid. Oh, you should be happy we even paying you any attention. We are even giving you the satisfaction of collecting a check. And it was like, we got mental issues too. We overseas. Our career is WNBA overseas. We're probably at home, what, June, July, August, maybe? Maybe. From overseas, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In, yeah. in college until now, it takes a toll on you. And I was like, the women need somebody speaking on this because we're so disrespected in the sports field. They think men are the only person that goes through something. And it's like, oh, they they value matter more than us. I was like, all right, I'm going to make a page. I'm just going to start mm-hmm. sharing my journey. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like a lot of people may not know this. Um, when it comes to the women's game, we don't we don't really get a break. So men who play overseas, they the same. The seasons run the same time as the NBA. But right. can you talk about the the difference in the women's game and how we really don't get any type of break? We don't, and I feel like that's what happened when I broke my tibia. I broke my leg like Paul George did. <laughs> we go from college our senior. Year, we go from college, you went to Texas, I went to Rutgers, we're going in the NCAA tournament. We're going to be in the tournament. We go there to March, maybe April. We're going to go deep in Big 12. Back then, we was Big East. Then we training for WNBA draft. Then you got to go to training camp. Like, you no know, breaks. You mm-hmm. don't even go to your college graduate. I didn't even go to my college graduation. Yeah. I got so, cut like three days before, so I just made it. I wasn't flying back from LA to Jersey. Yeah, right? yeah. And so it was like, we go from there. Then we go strictly strictly after they make final roster. We go into preseason, we go into playing. Then I played for the Sparks. We go deep in the playoffs. We went to the Western Conference Championship. Season didn't end for me to like September. I had to be in Australia the end of September. Like I had to be in Australia a week after that, that game. They didn't give me a, they was like, oh no, season start. You know, Australian season started early. I couldn't even yeah. gather my drop, my thoughts or nothing. I had to go right back to playing basketball after. I went probably a year and a half straight basketball. And like my body rejected it. And that's when I had my, my leg broke. And by the time I got to my second, like sophomore season in the league, I had to have surgery because my body was like college break, breaks us down. Like. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about like you know, you play, you're playing for the Sparks, you get drafted, um, you know, life is good, you're playing, and then a year and a half, I know you said you had your first injury. So when it comes to that first 
big injury? Like, how did you, how did you, did you do anything to help your mental health at that time? Or were you really aware of it at that particular time? I mean, I was always aware of it, but I had the mentality, like I can get through anything. Like Coach Stringer at Rutgers, like mentally prepared us. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this. Like, and the thing with me, when I was leaving Australia, the team in Australia, Ben knew from the x-ray that my bone had like a, a I think they call it a dreaded line. But I play, continued to play the season. Then when I was doing my exit physical, they was like, well, do you want us to let the Sparks know? Like, your your leg is messed up. I'm like, yeah, I've been new this dude. Yeah. But y'all wanted me to play the season because I played with Sydney Flames and they had made playoffs first time ever. Like, I was the best player in the WNBL. And it was like, I was like, wow. Like, y'all knew this when I first went to the doctor telling y'all I was hurt. And it was like, with me, the anxiety came into effect because I'm worried like, oh my God. And then when I got home, they they restricted me to strictly like pool workouts. I couldn't do no pounding. I can't do nothing. I was like, how am I supposed to get ready for a training camp in like probably the most important time in my career, my second year. Where like, they're talking about Nick and Aguma K and I being like Candace Parker and Christy Tolliver type yeah. duo. And it was just like, I, how I'm gonna get in shape? How I'm gonna stay in shape? doing pool workouts. So I get to training camp, I push myself, I get to training camp. I couldn't jump over probably a four inch little, little ladder. And it was like, I was just pushing myself into the point that it was like, they eventually ended up cutting me Carol Ross. I've been knowing her since she had coached at Ole Miss, personal mm-hmm. relationship. And even with Penny, the GM, and they was just like, April, you gotta get better. And I was like, yeah, I knew before I came in here, I was injured. Yeah, like that was the worst, and my anxiety was so bad because I was just worried. Like I, I was, I wasn't sleeping. I was just like, and then it was one of them things. Like I had to learn with like going to therapy and stuff. You can't control what you can't control. Like it was just a hand I was dealt, and I kept trying to tell myself. And then I had the thing like I can get through anything. Like I'm tough, and I, I was just damaging myself more and more. If I had to just stop and be like April, let's take care of these. Yeah. It's not going nowhere. You know, we're trying to put all our eggs in one basket. We're trying to, as women players, we got to get it while we can. Yeah. The career for us, WNBA, the average person plays, what, two to five years, maybe? Yeah, maybe. So it's like, I don't have no guaranteed contract here. It's not NBA. I'm not guaranteeing them three rookie seasons like they are in the NBA. Whether you plan or not, you're going to get a check. No, we're getting cut in the WNBA. So I had that pressure and that stress. It was like, I got to do this. But I can move. Like, honestly, it was to the point Elena Beard and them be like, April, just stop. Candace Parker be like, like, April, we know you're pushing us. Like, it's not worth it. I was like, but I'm cut. Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And that's the pressure of it. It's like, what's next? Like, yes. I got to have surgery. But it was straight because I ended up staying in LA with Elena Beard. I got the rehab and stuff. And like, when I really decided to get the surgery, sent, uh, Seattle wanted to sign me because I thought I had let the bone heal because I wasn't putting no pressure on it. I was still working with LA trainers and um, physical, uh, the weight weight trainers and stuff. So when I got to Seattle, they did the physical. It had broke, like I was walking around with a broken bone Ooh. and I didn't even realize. And then the doctor the doctor and coach Agler that was with Seattle then, they was like, yeah. you gotta get this surgery. I had just signed a big contract to go overseas. It was like in between like August. Like I thought I had healed enough and they was trying to sign me like right before playoffs. And I had to make the decision that was like one of the hardest decisions, but I think it was better for my career. Cause I was like, I easily could have went overseas and got 15,000 for a month. Yeah. 
Yeah. I had signed with a team in like France, like Euroleague and stuff. And it was like, and at that time I was like, oh, I can go get that money, get that money. But like, they was like, no, like you got it. They sat me down. I was like, so started showing me pictures of the kid from Louisville. And it was like me, like when he snapped me, they was like, this, you do not want this to happen overseas while you in another Definitely country. Definitely not. Oh my God. And they was like, you gotta go. And then I just had to sit down. And like those phone calls for me was so stressful and so hard because it was like, my career could be over. Mm-hmm. Like I became stressed. I became worried about the unknown. I didn't know. Most of my life was almost, almost like written. Like, you know, from AAU, if you're a top player, your life is rent for you without even yeah. any effort. Like everything's planned out for you. So for the first time in my life, I didn't know what was next. Yeah. And it was a challenge for me. And it was like, and then depression came in. I went to Rutgers, I had surgery. Then it started settling in like, this is a real surgery. Like I had surgery on my shoulder in college, but I was a freshman. I had college to pay you for recover. it. Yeah, you recover. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I had a responsibility of an adult. Like I had the trainer come take me, pick me up, take me to the doctor. Mm-hmm. This is the first time on my own. I got to pay for my surgery on top of that because after I got cut from the WNBA, I didn't know that they cut my insurance off. Yeah, and so it's like when I even scheduled to have the surgery initially, when I went in there, you know, I'm thinking I still had like my Aetna, my Cigna and all of that. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, they was like, no, you owe us $2,500 for back pay. And I was like, excuse me. (laughs) and i was like wait why and they was like well when when you got cut i was like but they didn't tell me that like Mm. i didn't my agent ain't telling me this i didn't get no email with an option hey if you want to continue to have this insurance you just got to pay monthly so i had to pay them back like twenty five hundred dollars before i even actually got a sixty thousand dollars surgery so it was like and i was paying like five hundred dollars a month for like just to have the insurance, then paying the copay, then to doing the rehab, and it was just like it on top of it. Yeah, it had became so overwhelming for me, and I was like, and I had to go into my bank account. Luckily, Australia, my first year, I made a pretty penny, but it was just like I had to pay for that surgery. That surgery got me probably for six. Yeah, it's unexpected. Sixty seventy thousand. Yeah, it's unexpected, and I feel like. Hold on, April. You said sixty seventy thousand. Yes, yes. I I got the tibia, so I had to get the rod put in. I I, got, I was out of $67,000. I would have tried it myself. <laughs> Besides surgery. It's... Try and DIY it or something. Me. A lot of people do try to do that because if you don't have that money in your bank account, if you didn't come out making a lot of money and you still have to have surgery and you come back or if you get hurt overseas... And then you, you know, you're walking on something that's broken or torn or something. Then you finally get on a plane, a 20 hour plane ride, come home and then try to figure out how to get into a doctor and you don't have insurance, you know? And I think that was before, I'm trying to think, I know there was like a lapse period where you weren't under your parents' insurance up until 26. And that's if your parents have insurance. Like that's if your parents are good. And they have a job that are, you that know, are, that'll okay. cover you and they're able to pay the extra. I mean, there's so many levels to it. And when you're in college, I feel like when you go to the doctor, you don't think about paying for it. Like it goes to the school, it goes to the school doctor. It goes to your trainer. If you got to go, you know, and have surgery, you're not worried about how you're paying for it. You're worried about how you're going to recover from it. But it's like the day you leave college, 
the real world hits. And then if you are, if you are blessed enough to get to the league and be able to make some really good money and go overseas and get to play in like really good leagues and make some good money, it gives you a cushion. But with guys, I mean, with guys that aren't playing in the league, it's, it's pretty similar, but when, for us, we're getting paid like a fraction for doing the same. So when we come home and like, we need surgery and stuff like that, it just, it hits you different because either you have the cash and now you're out of the cash or you don't. And you're trying to find a job here and there, trying to like coach kids here and there just to make up, to try to, it's just a lot. It's a lot of pressure and nobody really preps you for it. I feel like nobody prepped me for it when I was in college coming out. No, it, and then it's it's hard because I was a top player. So, yeah. People, and let me let me just clarify. Hold on, April. So let me clarify. <laughs> no, when Ashley, do not do it. No. <laughs> let me just let me just put it this way. So I I told um, I was telling my <laughs> husband like, oh, you know, we're gonna have April Sykes, and he's like, I know that name. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you probably do. And he's like, where do I know that name from? And he's like, pull up her picture. And I said, well, you know, she's like McDonald's All-American, like top player in the nation. Like you would have seen her on ESPN. You would have seen her you know, playing for the WNBA. And I pull up a picture and he's like, oh yeah, I know her. Like April is like, like KD, like when she came out, she came out on top. So I want everybody that's listening to understand the, the level that April has been on for her career and how, you know, what she's been on since high school. Like she'd been playing at the top level for a minute now so i'm so I'm, basically <laughs> basically put some respect on her name okay if you're in the basketball world you probably know her name but if you're not just understand us having her on here is really special so i'm, I'm definitely yeah, happy to have you and that's here. the thing like i love all this kid i appreciate it but it's like when i got older it crippled me Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because I was a kid that was catered to, like, and I try to mentor kids now and be like, listen, you weren't even as half as good as I was, but now they got so much. Now that they get, they spoiled, they, they entitled. And it was like, with our, with our situation, we were spoiled and we probably got stuff. We was never treated things like we was entitled. Like we never mm -hmm. had that personality. So mm -hmm. it was me coming out and I had to actually learn how to do stuff on my own. Yeah, like I had people to the point where like if I wanted something done, like I can say it and they'll do it for me. But mm -hmm. like and that was another thing that had made me like kind of depressed because simply I had saw my peers still hooping, all these people that was in my corner. And then when I get one injury, I get cut from the lead. They vanish. You know what I'm saying? And like for people, a person like me of my status, and that's why I try to instill in my players, them people not gonna care about you. I've been to the mountaintop, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've been in a situation like, I'm that person, like, people, hey, I want these shoes, they show up at my house the next day. Yeah, I don't three pairs, four pairs. <laughs> I want a PlayStation, like, oh man, I got you, I'll get you that, I, I need some money. Like, it was that when I was at the top, the time I got that injury, it was just like, on to the next. I can't get a call, people pick up my phone I couldn't get Asians to pick up my phone and for me that was new for me like I'm mm -hmm. I'm a kid that was like <clears throat> I know I know I, I'm still gonna bounce back because of my mentality I know I'm still gonna be good after this injury but like the injury I had was so severe they was like oh she ain't gonna never be the same so they was pretty much off me and that, that made me depressed that made me unsure that made me question who I was I lost my identity in society like in basketball society and it was to the point I couldn't I, I turned my phone off 
I didn't want to talk. Like, I lost connection. Tiffany Hayes, my best friend. Tiffany was killing it in Atlanta at this time. And, like, for my own selfish reason, for my mental state, I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't, I couldn't hear about her happiness. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't hear about any, Shakina Strickland, one of my homies. I couldn't see them hooping people from my class that I can't, Neko Gumaka, I couldn't watch them because it made me so sad. It made me like, I was embarrassed because I was like, that's what I was supposed to be. But I was like, now I'm here like in bed. I was depressed. I stay in bed two, three times like all day. Like I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't watch basketball until like, and then my anxiety was like extremely bad because I was always worried about this or that instead of worried about the now, worrying about waking up, going to therapy. Yeah. I ain't go to therapy for like maybe two, three weeks. I set myself back. I was like, oh, what I'm going there for? Like, I was so like, I was so like down on myself and it was yeah. just like, oh, that ain't gonna matter. Like nobody's talking to me. Nobody, ain't nobody hit me up asking me how I'm doing. It's like, I fell off the face of the earth. Which I played a big part in too because I did unplug. Yeah. I was in Mississippi with my family. Like, yeah, it got to the point I went from like having ninety, a hundred thousand dollars in my account to having like five thousand dollars. Yeah, Mississippi was the only option for me to go to because I had paid for surgery. It's not like I sat up and blew through my money. A life changing experience happened, and I had to deal with it as an adult. Yeah, I didn't have nobody I can call. Like, oh, I need you to pay for this surgery. And then being a prideful person like myself, it was like, all right, I gotta get through this. Like, yeah, I gotta get through it. And then I start, I started, I read this book. I never forget um, the Energy Bus. I don't know if you if you heard, um, you heard. I think it's the Energy Bus. And it was like I started reading that, and then I had a person like, you control like what comes back to you. I'm big on like universe affirmation. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm big That's on my area. what you get. And I like, and it was just one of those days I just woke up like, all right, I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to conquer this. I go to therapy. I have an attitude. Like, I was just miserable. I was, it was, I was almost became evil. Yeah. Was like, that the first time you started going to therapy when you kind of hit that, hit that point? No, I had went to therapy. Uh, I had started going to therapy like in college. Like mm -hmm. if you want to get that, like coach stringing them, and it was like, and I was like diagnosed with being bipolar. Like I had been having these issues, but it never like had a toll on me because I had basketball. Like yeah. I was happy because I was hooping, and time mm -hmm. net was taken away from me. I couldn't step between those lines. That's when it hit hard, and all this other trauma came up. It was like I was going to therapy, and I was like. I was just angry. I was just mad. I was upset with myself. I kept blaming myself for something that I really had no control. It was a bone. That was like April. It's a bone injury. You know what I'm saying? That's one of the few injuries in sports that's out of our control. When you yeah. snap, break, like literally break your bone, that doesn't come from anything besides it just happened. It just happened. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like the theory is like you keep you blaming yourself. You blame yourself. Like I was punishing myself. Like. And that's the only way I knew because I didn't know how to be mediocre. I didn't know how to not be good. I didn't know how to not be successful, you know? And it was something I had to really grow and understand. Like, I got to get better. It's just one day at a time. Ain't nobody going to be able to say nothing to me. Mm -hmm. Like, and Coach Stringer sent me something. She was like, you know, you still got a lot. She sent me, like, a message. And it was just like, I don't know how she knew it. The spirit hit her. It was, like, something crazy because I wasn't answering her calls. 
Like yeah. I'm telling you, like they'll be like reach, they'll be trying to reach out to ask how I was doing. I just be like, I wasn't talking Shut to them. Mm-hmm. Because when people were asking me, I was to the point where people were like, well, April, how you doing? I would instantly start crying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know how you have so much guilt on you, and people be like, well, how you doing? You okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I don't know who I am right now. Yeah. And the loss of identity is is huge when it comes to an athlete that's used to performing at a certain level, whether it be injuries or getting cut. Um, but particularly for injuries, like it's it's really hard to figure out who you are. Like what we've been basketball players for so long. I know for me, that was a huge thing is like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I like to do. Like with basketball, we were told put 100% in every day, all day. And so for years, that's what we had been doing. And so to not have that, um, I never had like a big injury, thank God, but I retired twice. And I know each time I did it, I was like, I don't know who I am. Like, I don't, what do I like to do? Like, <laughs> what do I like, you know? And so for you, um, I know that you're also a content creator and you were a film major over at Rutgers. Like yeah. how did, did you ever kind of dig into the things that, did you ever find other things that you liked during that love, time? I love theater. Like I was in acting classes. Uh, I've been into like film since I was a kid. I've had every camera. My mom has always bought me camera. I like to record stuff. I think I, I'm slick or creator of TikTok. I've created TikTok back in college. <laughs> Chelsea yeah. Lee and I used to be, you know what I'm saying? Chelsea Lee and I used to be doing stuff like that. Yeah. It was just like, I've always been a person that's big on trying to tell a person's story because I've been like a misunderstood person in my day, you know, I've been, my character has been tested, has been questioned. People have all type of stories out there about me that they don't know. And I'm big on like creating a platform and just opening myself up to be more than this. I don't want you to look at me and be like, oh, this April site, the Hooper. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have X, Y, Z falling behind. I want to have some volume to, to myself and some substance. Like I'm into poetry. I love theater. Uh, screenwriting, all that, all that stuff. And it's like, when I went to Rutgers, I was so like stressed out and like depressed. I was depressed at Rutgers because my career wasn't as planned. Coach Stringer was like on 10 from day one. It was like, I gotta find something to get into that I won't lose my mind. Yeah. Cause I'm in my room, like crying almost every day. She yeah. telling me I'm nothing every day. You know how coaches are in college. Oh, yeah. right? Yeah. The mental, the mental part that plays into your life. I go from a kid that's number one, number two in the country, to my coach telling me, "I don't know why I recruited you." Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, get off my court. Like, I'm gonna send you back to Mississippi. It's just like, but you were just at my house begging me, to begging come. me to come to your school. Yep. You in a hundred fifty other colleges. Okay. You know, out of all them, I chose you. I trusted you, and it was just like I was like, bro. And I'm a kid from Mississippi. I'm like a black and white person, and I was like, kind of like gullible and naive, and like I see glass half full, and everybody until I really got into like college, I was just like, this a dog eat dog world. Yes. Like yeah, this is my teammate, but I'm I'm a I'm a sought out like the top recruit the biggest recruit to ever come to Rutgers. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, and it's just like, all right, they mess with me, but at the same time, I might take they, they time. Mm-hmm. So it's like understanding that and like living up to expectations. I was preseason freshman of the year. And it was just like, it was nonstop. I couldn't have bad days. 
And that's the biggest struggle with me. It was just like, I had to wake up every day and be precise. I couldn't wake up and just be a kid that enjoyed playing basketball. It wasn't fun for me anymore. Like, and that's what they was, he got, she, she got me with the same psych, psychiatrist that LeBron had with the Cavaliers. I forgot his name, uh, older guy, older white guy. She flew him in because I, it was to the point like I shut down like, and, and that's when I realized like my bipolar played a lot of part in it because I wake up days and I just look at people like, yo, I don't want to be here. And it's a straight face. And I'm no, I'm a kid. I love basketball. I, I, I tear up still talking about basketball. I love everything that has to do with basketball, but it was just some days I would walk in there and be like, my energy was bad. I just, like, I just don't want to be here. I don't want to do this today. And it was like getting out of bed with me was like some of the hardest thing. Cause it was just like, they are like, oh, you lazy. And I got the stigma like, oh, she lazy. She don't want to do this, she don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, when I get on that court, I'm far from lazy. People that know me know I'm not lazy. And mm-hmm. I was believing I was lazy because they'll be like, oh, she lazy. She don't like to work. I've been working all my life. Yeah. I'm a kid from a small town in Mississippi that came on the scene out of nowhere. And, and like took over, like from one boo Williams turn, you tell me I don't like to work. I've been working all my life. Like, don't put that on me. And like, yeah. I was, I had got frustrated. I was just like, nah, I know I love playing basketball. I love doing this. Like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. So and did it, you know, can you talk about um, like, did they diagnose you with bipolar disorder when you had records or did you know before you actually got I didn't. College? I, I didn't, I didn't, but as I got older and looked back on like the behaviors and, and like talking to my therapist, like trying to like take down those layers of like all the trauma and situations I went through in life, I realized, I was like, dog, that was my bipolar. Right. You know what I'm saying? It was taking a toll on me as a kid. I just be locked in my room. And it was like when I got out of college and then like when I had my first injury, I was going to the doctor and I would just have days when I'm up, like I'm excited, like. I'm a, I feel like I can conquer the world, you know? Yeah. And then two, maybe two weeks later or a week later, I'm in bed. I don't want to do nothing. I don't answer people's yeah. phone calls. My energy is down. Even in my personal relationships, it took a toll on my relationships because yeah. my partners would be like, what's wrong with you? And I really wouldn't know. I'd just be like crying. Or I'd be in a mood that was like, I couldn't control it. I didn't know why. And then like, I went to the doctor and like, they just started doing research and they was asking me questions like, do you go through mood swings? And I was like, for the longest people used to tell me I had a temper, you know, right. yeah. kid, you know, in our community, it's, it's black and white. About to say, I was just about to Particularly, say, no, it's no mental illness in black communities. No, like, it's either you got an attitude, you got a temper, you need Jesus, you got to pray, like church. <laughs> Pray it out of me, you know what I'm saying? And I come from mm-hmm. or in some cases, you know, like getting beat, beating it out of you. Like there's a lot of different ways that we don't deal with mental illness in our community. It's, it's almost awesome. like we we spend a lot of time figuring out ways to not have to deal with it. Yeah. Like outside of therapy or professional help. Any other way, they spend it's our community spends so much energy finding a way to pay over mental illness Mm -hmm. and call it something else like oh you know he's just hyper or she's just uh got an attitude out Uh, acting out you know what yeah acting out need a whooping like ass whooping Mm -hmm. is not the answer okay like they need actual help you know so yeah 
Okay. Yeah, I got a lot of those when I was little, and I still was. Hey, <laughs> and it was like, and you know, that's the thing they had. They put out there like, oh, she got a bad attitude. She got a temper, which I did, but I I didn't understand why. You know, it was just like I react to everything and just be go from zero to ten. Mm-hmm. And, and I had triggers and that's what I had to learn and that's why I tell people now like they reach out to me I said first off you have to learn your triggers you whether mm-hmm. it's your family we got family members that trigger us from childhood trauma you know that we don't realize but automatically when they come around we get tense or uh, you know our energy change or uh, we on we on high alert and it's like it's uncontrollable and I used to be wondering like you know what I'm saying it was like why I act like that because I can be the most loving, fun, entertaining person, and out of nowhere, I could just be cold. And I was like, it, it's not, it, it's not adding up to me. Yeah, it's like it's crazy. I just started doing a lot of research, and you know, when I went to the doctor and they told me, I was like, all right, that's crazy. And I and so it started making sense because I started like looking at YouTube, like I I started research, and I started trying to get a better understanding. I started reading like stuff that was like wow, that's how I be, I be feeling like this. Mm-hmm. Like you can be up one day and the next day you just not, no motivate, no motivation. Like. Yeah. So like nowadays, <clears throat> excuse me. So with the, with, with like mood swings and things like that. So nowadays, how do you deal with the, like the highs and lows that kind of come with bipolar disorder? I learned, I learned how to like channel it better into like a positive. So it's like, I always, I always try to calculate it. It's like, I know it's going to come. I know it's coming. It usually around like, I don't know. I get it at the end of the month. Once I get too overwhelmed because I do have a lot of stuff going on or when I, when I exchange too many energies with different people and what they have going on, you know what I'm saying? And I always have to take a step back and like, I'm, I'm so confident now and I'm more open when I tell people, like I have no problem telling people like, yeah, I, I have, I suffer from bipolar depression. I suffer from anxiety, you know, and I I don't look and be like, oh, they're going to judge. And I just be trying to get them a warning. Like, hey, I may go two days and I don't want to talk to nobody. And it's okay. And I used to feel guilty for it because I'd be like, dog, I'm funny. And people, you know, people put out like, oh, you funny acting. Like, oh, you, and I had to not care about that because I'd be like, no, I just need this time for myself. So I, my safe space and protecting my peace and my energy and what I allow to come in is like it plays a major part in it because I don't like taking the medicine the medicine have you down and out it has so many side effects I've tried it like I have it but it was just like I started doing like meditation yoga like going to like positive stuff like watching positive things and just learning more about myself and understanding myself and what type of people I need in my life and I think that's a lot of for us as athletes because so many people in our life, especially when you're good, you're going to interact. So many people could be coming left and right. And it was just mm-hmm. like, you got to control who you're exchanging your energy with. And like daily, I just wake up every day and be like, what I'm going to conquer today. I'm going to be two things I got to conquer today. Or I may, and I have days when I lay in bed two days straight and like just binge watch a TV show. Mm-hmm. because I can't <laughs> I can't deal with any I don't answer phone calls I can't deal with other people and their things because I'm too overwhelmed myself because like personally for me like a lot of a lot of like childhood trauma I had my dad committed suicide when I was two and like people don't know that when they and I tell people when y'all was judging that 15 16 17 year old kid 
you didn't know what I was dealing with internally. You know what I'm saying? So it was just like, y'all was just judging me out. Oh, she the basketball player. I have to be a certain way to live up to the expectation. But I'm just like, every day I go to sleep, I ask myself why my dad killed himself. Mm. I had to go to therapy for that. Understanding like how, when I was two years old, you know, I have brothers and sisters, but I'm, I'm like the baby. And like, that was another thing, like, I'm still dealing with it at 30 years old, trying to get a better understanding. And like, I'm real passionate about like suicide awareness and stuff like that. And it's just making sure because I do have those days and that's what really controls me right now. I do have those days when I like, I get down and I be like, dog, why? Yeah. At 30, I still have no answer for it. Like, nobody really has answered it. And like, yeah. and it's crazy. I think that's okay too. And I think that's something, something that, particularly athletes have to know is that you're going to have days where you're up and you're feeling good. And like, maybe you're playing really, really well. <clears throat> and then you're going to have days where you're not feeling it. And they may also be happen to be the days you're playing well and you're, and people are trying to hit you up and you know, everybody's trying to talk to you and you're not really sure why you're not feeling it. And sometimes, you know, there are underlying causes like bipolar disorder or depression and like, especially with depression, people think that you can't be up and then come back down during depression. It's control. It's called controlled depression. Like. Yeah. It's just like with, in particular for athletes and, and kids coming up, like it's okay to have bad days. Like you're not, like you're not a bad person to have bad days, but I think it's great that you have psych serenity and that you are, um, you know, pushing yourself forward to be a mental health advocate, particularly for the kids coming up, but also like the fact that you've shared your stories with us is is super powerful because I didn't know a lot of this. Um, yeah, a lot of I, people, you know, a lot of people, and that's most of my career that's like so troubling with me because people just thought I come from like this dope. I mean, I do come from a dope background I'm from Mississippi. Never wanted for anything. Like, you know what I'm saying? I didn't, I didn't have the hood struggle as they say, you know, in our world as an athlete, if you come from the hood, people sympathize with you more. If you right. come from a stable, right. if you're a black kid coming from a stable two two parent home, which they assume I did because I didn't want for nothing. Like right. my family, my family was well off, and so it's like I had that stigma. Like even at AAU, they was like, "Oh, April, good." Like right. I didn't come from the hood. I didn't. I didn't grow up in the hood. I don't know. That. I mean, I know about the hood because I go there, but I'm not. I grew up. You can't claim that because it's not where you grew up. I can't claim it. My grandma cooked me. I don't know what bologna and you know, I never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Not like stereotype the hood, but you know what I'm saying? We got to get you a PJ. Uh, Gloria, you need to run her a PB and J. I I never had (laughs) it. Run down the street. (laughs) My grandma, right. My grandma cooked breakfast, dinner, lunch, all that. Like, I didn't know what it felt like to struggle. And I didn't know that type of struggle. So it was like, in our community, if they don't see you with that type of struggle, you're not going through nothing. Mm, that's you know deep. And nobody that's talks deep. about that. That's, that's a deep. valid thing. That's very valid. And yeah. it was like me, I got pushed to the side in college and AU. Um, I mean, I got pushed to the side mostly because I, I, I didn't have the stereotypical background. Right. You know, I wasn't a kid. I mean, I had go-kart. I had a car at 14, two cars. You know what I'm saying? I come from a background that was I had foundation. I didn't struggle. I didn't hear gunshots. If I heard gunshots, it was because somebody was hunting, hunting behind our house. You know what I'm saying? It was like hunting. It wasn't like nobody was being killed. It was just like, and, and that's what I had to tell people. I was like, a lot, majority of my life, I felt like I was ignored. Mm. My trauma or uh, from my lack of, 
because I didn't come from the hood. I wasn't a hood baby, as they say. I I didn't grow up in the slums, you know? And it was just like, I got cast away. It's like April good, April straight, you know? Her family got her or she don't know what it's like to struggle. Like I wake up every day and struggle, like. Yeah. I don't think that's probably talked about enough. Is that, and I, I don't think it's just within our community. I kind of feel that way, like in society here in America that um, I kind of see it a lot with like ESPN, the way they'll kind of talk about people's backgrounds and the way they'll kind of really highlight if a black kid comes from like, comes from the hood and like single parent home and came from nothing. Like that story is just such a familiar story for, and it's really marketable. Like it's great. Yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, he made it. Look, that's the one that made it. But you know, you don't really hear them talk a lot about the kids that come from stable homes or, you know, the kids that, you know, maybe their parents are successful. Like you don't typically hear that. And I know in the basketball community, I think sometimes the assumption is that at least on the West coast was that, you know, if it's a white kid, then you're good. And if you're black, then you are probably from the hood and like, you probably need for something. And oftentimes that's not the case, you know, either side, but that's kind of like the stories that you're kind of put into. And then if you don't fit in there, like you said, nobody's really listening to you because the thought process is like, if you're not struggling in the hood, then you have everything you need to survive. So there's no need for you to complain. Like, I think that, I think the, the fact that everybody constantly forgets is that mental illness does not give a fuck who you are. Exactly. From what you got, mental illness just happens and, and it can be unpredictable. It can be beat into you. It can be, it could be something that is genetic. Bipolar disorder, for instance, can be something that is genetic. It was in my family. And, you know, it does not care if your family is affluent, if you're well off, if you have a great foundation, it doesn't care if you uh, were born in a crack house. It does not matter. Like if you have a mental illness, it, it's completely unbiased. And a lot of people don't get that. Oh, you don't have anything to struggle with. What are you talking about? You had a great life. You've had a what? I can still be fucking depressed. What are you talking exactly. about? I can still have bipolar disorder. I can still have an eating disorder. I can still have, it's you so know, bad. mental illness. Um, people forget that. <clears throat> people yeah. forget that. I went through that with my post. I, co- I coached boys post grad, and so like I had a white kid, and I had a like I had probably he was like the only white kid on my team, so we did this exercise. I made him write on the pad. I was like, write one thing about yourself. Don't nobody know. Don't put your name on it. So I gave each individual a different. You know what I'm saying? So when they read it out, they was like, oh, me and my family used to be homeless. We lived in a car. I was like, oh, who y'all think that is? Nobody said the white kid. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And like, you know, and that's something I was talking to my boys that because I'm big on it because I went through that in my life. And I was like, and they was like, nah, it's not him. I'm not gonna say his name or whatever, you know, for the but his personal, that's his story. But they was like, Yeah, yeah. Oh, he ain't really been through that, you know what I'm saying? Like one of my kids saw his uncle get killed in front of me when he's seven. Like this is stuff that college coaches and that's something I'm pushing too because these coaches need to know what type of kid they're dealing with. Yes, 100%. Say it again, April, please. They don't do the backstory and that's something like Sykes Serenity I'm really pushing towards because yeah, my coaches at Ruggers knew my dad 
you know, he died, or whatever. Most people didn't know that because when I tell people to this day, they be so shocked. Like, I don't seem like a kid. They was like, oh, you don't seem like you come from like that struggle. I'm like, what does that struggle look like? You know, it's like, to, I'm 39. I'm just really getting comfortable with saying it because I wasn't able to talk about it because I just get angry and I get irritated with people because I'll be just like, you know, I'll be like, what the hell you mean? Like, it was like, oh, for real, I would not, I would have never thought that. Like, that's what people say to me. And like, for me, yeah. like receiving it, I just be like, what do you mean? It's like, oh, I don't look like nobody that dad committed suicide. I'm like, what does that look like? I have to be like somebody in the hood. How do you, how do you look like? Yeah, your what does that look like? Suicide. That's the people are just dumb. Right. People, they they really just try and talk. They and like that's why I be telling my boy. I was like, don't be ignorant. I can't stand an ignorant person, you know. And they was like, they asked him. They was like, well, what does homeless mean to you? Like they questioning him, saying like wow. him and his family was homeless. He was like having to live in my back of my parents' car and beg for food every day. And I was like, y'all see how society has like ruined y'all, these 17, 18 year old kids. And like, that's mainly what my platform is about. I said, you see how y'all automatically judge him off his, off his color thinking he didn't went through then. Like you thinking he got a different definition from homeless, being homeless. There's only one type of homeless I yeah. know. Like, exactly. you know. It's no home. It's just the one. <laughs> It's no home. That's it. He had a lot of anger issues. I used to be like, they used to be like, oh, you know how coach would be like, oh, I ain't dealing with him. And like, I'm the mm-hmm. type of person, like, I go off on him, but I also put him to the side. Like, yo, what's what's bothering you? Like, what's up? Because mm-hmm. I was that kid. That you, I, they used to be like, all right, April, we done with you for the day. You out of practice. Go. But I'm like, yeah, I don't know what type of phone call or what I dealt with before I stepped inside mm-hmm. of here. You just telling me, like, get out of court. I don't want to look at you no more. I don't want to look at you. You know how coaches be like, I'm sick of you. Like, get out of my face. I'm like, yeah. well, I don't got going on. I don't have nothing to do with this basketball. I could do basketball in my sleep. And that's why I say a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that I dealt with internally had nothing to do with the basketball. Like, I was like blessed by God. That's a God-given talent. It had nothing to do with basketball. All my issues was outside of basketball. Yeah. Like, internally, it was like, coaches got to, what's your name? So I have, so, so as far as like, like I'm, I'm, I agree with you 1000% that when it comes to particularly college coaches, bringing kids in, um, that you have to be aware. And I think bringing people in and also understanding where these kids come from. So, and understanding, like, do you have the capacity as a coach to deal with what they're bringing in? Because I don't always think that's taken into account. I think people, they see you and they see what you can do physically. And they're like, oh, you know, are you a leader? Are you obedient? Um, can you fit in with well with my team? And they don't really do a lot of the backstory. So by the time you get in there and then for us, like getting to know our teammates, you're like, damn, you got a lot going on. Like, are you good? Is everything okay? And, you know, then you go into practice and you keep see the coach just like hammering and hammering and hammering. Them. And then you're sitting back thinking like, this person is, is dealing with stuff that's really heavy that we can't, we're, we're struggling to help them with, but then they got to come in here. And then, you know, the, the way coaches talk is kind of hard to even explain to like a person that doesn't, that's not in sports, but coaches are just like that voice in your head that tells you all the bad things that you are. That's <laughs> that's what will come out of a coach's mouth in a game, in practice, in film, whatever. And if you're not like mentally prepared to deal with that, and I think it's great that you're working with like kids that are in high school because kind of mentally, 
making them even just aware of their mental health and aware of like some of the, the, just the thoughts that they're having now and how to deal with them now, because depending on where they go, depending on what coach that they get, what environment that they're in, they may or may not have the support. Um, well, and, well. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, I tell kids like I get off a coaching job in colleges all the time. I would not, I never, if you yeah. see me coaching at college, they literally gave me the head coaching job. Yeah. I get, I turn it down from top universities all the time because of my network, because of my, resume and I just be like I can't do it because I can't be I can't be a victim of the system and the system is I only they're only responsible for you for maybe three four years Mm -hmm. after that it doesn't matter like you know and it's like I my heart is genuine so it's like I know this kid is struggling I know this kid and it's it's nothing set up for us in our community we don't have enough black people like us that are therapists that can relate to us Mm -hmm. and we don't have a situation where it's like we don't, they don't, like, NBA, when they're vetting a the player, they do, they go do everything they can and know the ins and outs. Yeah. Everything. They, know, they go back to second grade. <laughs> second grade. They know what you made on your spelling test. You know what I'm saying? In second grade, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's just as important as, in recruiting because you got to know what type of kids you get. A lot mm-hmm. of kids' careers are, are tarnished or they're ended because you get a kid. Like, my kid told me, he was like, yeah, when I was seven, I saw my uncle get killed in front of me. He's never been to no type of therapy. He never had like no, no trauma support. You know, there's nothing in place in our community for kids like that. It's just, it's normal. It's like mm-hmm. another day in the hood. Ah, uh, yeah. Like, and it's crazy for me that these people grow up to be successful athletes. Everybody like Kawhi, you know what I'm saying? Somebody like a Kawhi Leonard, you know, his yeah. dad, like, yeah. and people tell, oh, he's weird. You know, he get cast off. He's weird. Uh, he's, he's sheltered. Uh, that kid, dad was killed. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what's the girl in our class in LA? She wrote a book that went to um, um Tierra Rogers. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, her dad was killed. I saw a high school game. Yeah, at halftime, her dad was shot. Like, how much there? Crazy. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. is like she still picked up a basketball and kept on going. Yeah, it was like in our community, they just that's the story they want them. And, and yeah, that's the that's the thing. That's the thing. That's something they can push. Like. What's the therapy for that? Like, why is there no therapy? Like, we go to therapy for injuries, but we don't go to therapy for our mind. Like, yeah. Great. Like, and we, we go. And so, another qu- kind of question that I have for you is like, as far as the physical rehab that comes along with going, kind of going back to injuries, the physical rehab that goes along with injuries and the mental rehab that's needed to be able to come out of an injury. So, if you're talking to, um, you know, let's say there's a 20 year old kid there, you know, sophomore in college, let's say they, they break their tibia and they're kind of going through that same moment that you were going through. Like, what are like three big pieces of advice that you would give to that kid? Um, set realistic goals. That's like day to day, every day. Uh, make sure you're consuming the right amount of like positivity, and don't get discouraged because people tell you, I hate when people put a deadline on things. I stopped doing it when I got injuries, you know? Mm-hmm. They tell us as athletes, oh, we need you ready by in eight months. Mm-hmm. Like I had ACL surgery in May and I still ain't, st- because it's, it's at my own pace now. And it's important because they tell us because we on their clock. Mm-hmm. Don't let these people put you in a situation that may tarnish your career or 
you may never be able to play basketball again. So it's make sure whatever you're doing, make sure you're waking up every day, taking it one day at a time. Like even like I get, I talk to WBA players that are going through injuries. That's they probably got their first injury. They be like, wow, how you did? You did this five times. You came back hooping. I was like, man, I just wake. I like, I fall in love with the process. Maybe I'm different. Maybe it's because I watched Kobe a hundred million times. Like, you know, my anxiety doesn't allow me to sleep when I'm coming back from injury. It's a good, it would fuse me. And I also have to have it under control as well because I wake up sometimes. Be, I be at the gym 12, one o'clock in the morning. And it's like, and it's like, that's my happiness. Like, and I'm like, if I do something simple, it's like, oh, I jump and do a layup today. I'm excited, but I'm not content. And it was like, just wake up every day with a goal to try to be better. Like, I like the process. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little nuts because I'd had so many surgeries, but I'd be like, now when I get in, I'd be like, I'll get through this. Like, I can do this. I did this four times already. Like, yeah. that's the point of not trying to prove everybody else wrong. It's just simple fact, like, April, you different. Like, you, I wake up and I'd be like, oh, I'm about to go, I'm going to try this today. Probably don't even supposed to be doing it, but I'm just like, I always like pushing myself and somebody that got injuries. <clears throat> make sure you're taking it one day at a time. Set a goal, a realistic goal. And I mean, fall in love with the process because it's a journey. Yeah, It's going to define you. Like it's a defining moment. People be like, oh, when is that defining moment? It's when you're coming through that injury, that breakthrough. Like it's the excitement of getting back. Definitely. So on the flip side, that same athlete, 20 years old, sophomore, blew out their tibia, you know, all the expectations and things like that, kind of going, you know, either on hold or out the door, whatever you may see. But as far as a college coach, one that coach, a coach that really cares genuinely, what are three pieces of advice that you have for that college coach when it comes to working with and keeping those kids, those 20 year old kids involved? Man, just check on the kid outside of the injury, you know? A lot of the time, the injury is not even what takes a lot of us down. It's the treatment we receive from other people. We start to question ourselves, you know. Um, I give, I got a kid at, I'm going to say it, I got a kid at Cincinnati. She she had a, a, a shoulder surgery, and the doctor at the school basically just told her he won't clear her to ever play basketball at the university again. You know, and she called me. I was like, I, you see how your face went? <laughs> I was like, in my all of my life, I've never ever heard this before. So she called me like a week ago, like crying on the phone because like she's from Egypt too. So she's like, okay. I played with her in Egypt, I know her, and it was just like, and I'm gonna say it because I don't like it. And I told her, like, if you want me to come to Cincinnati, I come up there. I've never, I've had injuries. I've never heard a doctor say I yeah. won't see you ever again to play at this university. Me neither. And I'm like, well, where, what are your coaches saying? Oh, well, we're going to look to try to send you somewhere else. I'm like, and this is what. Oh. And I was like, so they in cahoots. I said, so what you do, you go get a second opinion from another doctor outside of that university because their loyalty is to Cincinnati that signed her checks. And it was just like with that, it's like these coaches got to, these kids got feelings like these are people. They treat us like we're machines. It's like just check on that kid outside of the basketball. Mm-hmm. Make sure that mental is there. Making sure like <clears throat> they going to therapy and read their body language in therapy. Are they in there miserable because, oh my God. And I, I mean, I, I'm big. I don't like a poor me person, but there's a lot of people out here that aren't as strong as the other person. Mm-hmm. So it's some people that need more validation. They need more attention. They need more 
pick me up. They need more encouragement. So that's what I say. You got to understand what kids you're dealing with. And it's like the third thing is make them feel worthy. When you get that, you know, you had an in injury that you have to get some reassurance somewhere because you like, oh, I, I ain't hooping. They don't care about me no more. Mm-hmm. And that's how it is. Unless you're a star-studded athlete, you get an injury. It's just like, all right, another one coming along. Let me go recruit in your spot. It's like as coaches, we got to be more mindful of that. But like coaches be worried about their jobs and all the superficial things that really don't matter because at the end of the day, they're adults. They pretty much got their career. Mm-hmm. These are in the most important time in their life in college where it can make a break what you become and what you sought out to be. So it's like, and I think that's important because you collecting a check. These kids got a pay check. Mm-hmm. Barely. Yeah, you know, barely. <laughs> these days, they get a the lot. check look good these days. But back in our day, it was, uh, you pay your rent and maybe go out to eat three times. Man, listen. I, <laughs> oh, man. But so I guess one last thing. Um, Alora, you want to you wanna do the affirmation, affirmation question? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Okay, go ahead, girl. Um. <laughs> What is an affirmation that you would give your younger self? Wow. Y'all didn't send this to me on the email, did you? I know. <laughs> oh my God. Like, <laughs> you got me moving my head. Um, <laughs> really proud about that question. I that's know. That we all need to, like, we have to speak. My younger, oh, my younger. Question. I can write a book just off that question. <laughs> um, I would say... Continue to stay true to yourself, even in the darkest times. And do never never allow the judgment and the perception of outside people dictate your worth in this society. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, I can, man, that's an essay right there. You understand? <laughs> that's the point. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You said that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> and be more in tune with yourself. Don't get caught up in all this stuff that really superficial things. I, I say it all the time. It's like, don't get caught up in the superficial aspects of trying to live up to something that none of us will ever be able to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like be your true self. Understand, figure out who yourself is first. Because when you're going in life, most of the time I was doing other stuff because people told me this is what I should be doing. Mm. This is what you got to do. I never really thought for myself. I didn't have to think for myself because like I told you, my life was right now. I popped up on Hoop Girls, Ashley. My life was written for myself. You know, the time we was on Hoop Girls <laughs> recruitment. Yep. Everything was pretty much planned out for me. Um, and protect your peace, protect your energy. Never, never, st- like, always know your core, your soul, and your foundation as a person. Yeah. And as long as you know who you are and what you are, can't nobody come in and jeopardize it. No amount of money, no any nothing, like, can't nothing come in and jeopardize it. And that's been a, the biggest thing of me as I got older. When I was younger, I just wanted to be on the scene. I wanted to be this place, that place. I can get this, I can do that. And it was just like, it took a toll on me. And, it, and when I got to this age, like Kennedy Carter is one of the kids I mentor. And I'm like, I'm looking at her and I'm just like, 
oh, that's a younger me. <laughs> like, I, she want to be on the scene. I get it. I've been there. I ain't going to never tell you not to do it, but it's just like, it really don't matter. Like, like my satisfaction and affirmation is walking in the gym and people like, because I used to try to chase that WNBA. But I was like, for what? Like, I walk in any gym, my respect is like, it's there. Like, it's there. Like, yo, that's, yo, April Sykes is a household name. And once I realized that, and I went trying to fight, fight, fight to try to prove myself, my worth. Oh, I can play, I can hoop. I, I was at peace. And I was like, and that's the last part of my affirmation. Just make sure you, whatever you do, you at peace with it. And you know your purpose. Mm -hmm. My yeah. purpose was a part of me at 15. I just ignored it because of basketball. Like, I honestly feel like this is my purpose. Yes, I love it. I'm I, love that. I love that. Yes. I, I'm so happy that you are here today. Like, thank you again for taking the time out to, to sit with us. Um, if you could just kind of go through, I know that you've got Psych Serenity, but can you just kind of like name a couple of the projects that you're, that you're working on? Uh, well, another project I'm working on, I'm talking to with my best friend, you know, T Tiffany Hayes. Mm -hmm. uh, is being that we're in Atlanta, a lot of WBA players there, uh, Jaquia Jones is one of my youngins. She just bought a house there because the basketball scene is like, all of us, we playing, we playing pickup like the guys. So it's, it's, it's dope. And it was like, we we trying to create like, kind of like a, a podcast, kind of, but it's more like a round table. It's like we just sitting, chilling. We just doing stuff that women really, you know, men do it all the time. They got all of the smoke. They sit yeah. on there, they talk about whatever, and it's cool. Yeah, we don't have, shop. you know, for black women, especially because WNBA have a select few of people that they're pushing and everybody else is just. Extras. You can have a. <laughs> Super like a great resume, successful WNBA season. If WNBA don't want to push you, they're not gonna push you. You can be the star of your team, and they don't want to push you. You're not gonna be on the forefront. That's it. Mm -hmm. so a rookie can come in and take over a ten-year vet, somebody like a Tiffany Hayes that's been consistent throughout her career. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not you know it's not appreciated, and it's like just we doing something like that. We are gonna record a lot of stuff we do in the city. Like she do a lot of community work. I'm big on community outreach things like with the homeless, mentoring kids, doing camps. So it's like just sitting down talking about stuff and helping athletes transition into this real world. Mm -hmm. Like me personally, I'm not retired, but like I hoop, but it's not like I'm getting ready to go overseas because there's an option for me now. Right. I want every <clears throat> girl that's hooping out there to understand, hey, this is an option. It's not like oh my God, if I don't go overseas, what is my life going to be? It's like creating a platform, even my, myself and Matia Asheron, trying to have like something like more like a consulting thing where we're transitioning athletes into the business world. Yeah. Be an entrepreneur and do both. Or you can work <clears throat> in that field and it's cool. Like, And I think a lot of times it'd be a lot of, people be having too much pride. It was like just have round table. We're going to have guests come, talk. It's going to be normal. It ain't going to be control environment. Like, don't ask this question. Oh, let's not talk about that. You have a reputation to maintain. It's like raw. It's going to be organic. It's going to be dope. So I'll keep y'all updated with that. And I'm going to yes. produce, of course. <laughs> yes. So please let us know. Like, for sure, definitely send us the information. Um, we'll shout it out on our podcast and on our stories and all of that. Like, we definitely want to support the, the work that you're doing. Once again, thank you so much, April. We appreciate you being here. 
Um, and thank you so much to the people that are tuning in. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety Too. Before we end this episode, we want to um, end it off on a good note, a great note actually, with an affirmation. The ocean of life is lavish with its abundance. All of my needs and desires are met before I even ask. My good comes from everywhere and everyone and everything. There's plenty for everyone, including me. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful day. Bye.